to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and Institutes of Children's Ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast. My name is Joy Hensley, and I am your host for today's episode. Joining us today is the newly named Dr. Abigail Velasquez, and Abby is one of our dear friends to Children's Ministries. She has gone on trainings with us. She has helped write resources, and we are just so excited to have her today, and she is going to be talking with us on One of our documents and resources that we have on our Children's Ministries website, it is The Value and Spiritual Life of Children. So welcome, Abby. Thanks, Joy. It's an honor and a blessing to be here with you. Yeah, well, before we get started, I want to tell you all a little bit about Abby. So those of you who may have not met her before, you can have a little bit of a background of who she is and the exciting life. It's not dull at all, as we've been talking previously this morning, that she leads. So, Abigail Velasquez is a missionary and pastor currently serving the Florian's Church of God of Prophecy in Mexico City, along with her husband, Omar, and three children. She is also part of the Church of God of Prophecy Education Committee in Mexico and is the Assistant Curriculum Editor for One Accord Resources. She has worked on numerous projects with ICM and LDD, traveling throughout Latin America as a translator and speaker. Abigail holds an MDiv from Princeton Theological Seminary and a Doctor of Ministry from Western Theological Seminary. In her free time, she co-hosts her own podcast called Sick and Ha Hilarious, Encountering (laughs) God and It All. And I've listened to that podcast before. So again, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Yes, this is so fun to see you. <laughs> I know. For those of you that don't know, Abby used to live here and we used to see each other occasionally here when we'd work in the same building and now we don't. So I only get I to see her periodically if she's in town or <laughs> in her. So we're going to jump right in though. We're talking about the value and spiritual life of children. And like I mentioned earlier, that is a free Great downloadable resource that you can find on our website, cogop.org slash children. So Abby, um, tell us a little bit about the history of this document, The Value and Spiritual Life of Children. Of course, about 10 years ago, Cassie Creasy contacted me. Well, we were already always in contact, but (laughs) we talked about having a document that was officially approved by the Biblical Doctrine and Polity Committee about the spiritual life of children and their value, not only to the church, um, but to the world. So we began brainstorming and working together, getting this document together, having a biblical portion, a theological portion, a historical portion, (laughs) I can't speak, and recommendations for churches. So it was about a two-year process of collaboration with International Children's Ministry, 
and the Committee uh, for Biblical Doctrine and Polity, I think it's called, to work together. And not only was this the first time that children's ministry worked along with this committee, but it was the first time that women contributed to this uh, committee. So yay for that, a <laughs> double win. And yeah, so we presented it at the 98th International Assembly in 2014, and it was approved by the assembly. And now it is a resource that still a lot of people don't know about, but we mm -hmm. always present it. We're always handing it out. It's in Spanish and French. I don't know. Is it in any, any other language, Joy? Um, I don't believe online it is. Okay. But that's something for us to work towards, definitely. <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit about the history. All right. So, um, and I didn't tell Abby this, but there was a class that Abby and I was both teaching this past year. And that was one of the documents that we mm -hmm. were putting in the hands of these Church God of Prophecy students. So it's definitely something that you want to look at if you have not already. Every children's minister, I think, needs one. Every pastor needs to look mm -hmm. at it. So take time yeah. to grow to our website. Did you have mostly pastors in your class? did. Yeah, did. I did too. So they, you know, there was a little bit of why do we need this class? And I think I changed their minds by the end of it. <laughs> Absolutely. They were pleasantly surprised. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to begin by asking you, um, which part of the document, maybe you have a part that stuck out to you the most, what was most profound to you in your research and in your writings mm -hmm. as you were doing this? Definitely looking at sort of a biblical perspective. Um, Marsha Bunge is a theologian, and she talks about looking at the Bible or reading the Bible through the lens of a child and sort of lining this up with Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God belongs to the, the least of these, to the children, and what it looks like to take off our glasses, our adult glasses, our adult point of view, and look at it through the eyes of children. And it's something, you know, we're taught as, you know, you, Joy, and your theological pursuits and studies through the women's lens, through a person of color, their lens, through a disabled lens, but we often forget about the lens of the child. And so that has been really helpful when we read the text. What is this child thinking? What are they feeling? What, um, what is being done to them? Are they passive? Are they active? And that really kind of helped open up the way that even I looked at, at the Bible. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Um, speak, speaking of children in the Bible, we know mm -hmm. they're all throughout the Bible. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there's many significant stories that include children. So I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite story or passage that includes a child or children? And what is the significance to you in that? Yes, I do. And this is one that I teach often to children and I teach to adults. And in the class that we taught, I taught in Spanish, you taught it in English. Mm -hmm. And I teach this to my students as if I was, were teaching it to, the, to a child or to children to sort of get them to understand looking at the Bible through the lens of the child. And it comes from 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's the story of Naaman's slave girl. And this girl is unnamed, and she is disenfranchised. She has been removed forcibly, traumatically, violently from the arms of her parents. And she is forced into slavery, working as 
the servant girl for Naaman's wife. And I think about this little girl, and I often stop there. I don't go on to tell the story of Naaman and his cleansing and his leprosy, because a lot of the children that we work with, that I work with here in Mexico, are traumatized. They come from situations of abuse. They are overlooked, unnamed, we could say, especially girls and, you know, boys as well. I think about children on the border who are still not with their families. I think about um, all the situations, you know, Ukraine, we could, we can list them off the children who are forgotten. Mm-hmm. And this child is an example to us because of course, for her, not everything is black and white. A lot of times we think, you know, good, evil. Clearly these people who took her as a prisoner of war, who knows how old she was? She's a child. Who knows if she remember what she remembers? And yet she has the story of Israel in her heart and in her mind. And she hears about her master being sick. And what does she do? She doesn't keep it to herself, but she shares with her mistress about the God of Israel, the God who saves. The God that you took me away from, I know. I know that God, that God who is still with me and who comforts me. Now, I don't teach this to put responsibility on children who have been traumatized to forgive their abusers or to forgive the people who have hurt them. But a lot of times children, um, you know, there's attachment theory, right? They, They are attached to the person who cares for them and provides for them, even if that person mistreats them. And so the challenge to us as adults, uh, as people who teach children, what are we teaching children? What are we teaching them about God? Um, What are we teaching them about who they are? And that this little child could bring salvation, uh, the message of hope and salvation to her captor, to someone who has mistreated her in the sense that they took her away from all that she knew. Um, again, I say that don't put responsibility on children to go <laughs> evangelize right. and, and do sort of things that are responsibility, but what, do, how are we treating children and are we inviting them, uh, to share the message of love, um, through their experiences? Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> um, many people, when we talk about theology and the Bible, and um, it can be a little intimidating for some people, that word makes a lot of people cringe. Um, so I want to ask, why is it important that we have a healthy theology of children? Um, can't we just think that they're cute and fun <laughs> and, you know, pat them on the back? What's the significance there? Yeah. So theology is, is a scary word. It's a big word, and we often associate it with men, maybe old men with beards. Um, But speaking to a fellow theologian, (laughs) we understand that theology is just God talk, talking Mm -hmm. about God. And children talk about God all the time. And children have really sometimes silly notions of God, profound notions of God, uh, misunderstandings about God. I feel like I'm continually correcting my children's theology, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, like learning, Mm -hmm. uh, from my children, I have three, three kids. And so a healthy theology 
just makes space for children to grow. I think there is sort of this tendency to teach children, like, this is what you need to believe without giving them a why. And this is what you need to repeat. And this is what you need to know without giving any space for questions. And as we know, anybody who has worked with children, children have so many questions and children think in black and white. But I think that theology, having a healthy theology is one that is open to questions. I don't know about you, Joey, but I was always got in trouble in Sunday school for my questions. <laughs> um, and yeah, that can be sort of... Uh, deflating for a child. That's why I am a theologian. That's why I have pursued a degree in higher education in theology, because I was often dismissed as a child. And so what would happen um, when our children do have questions? That's children doing theology. That's children wanting to know. That's children exploring who God is, not just through knowledge, not just through feeling, um, but through community. And so a healthy theology is necessary because it shapes them who they are as adolescents, as young adults. And a lot of young adults begin to reject the theology that they've learned as a child because it's damaging and it's hurtful. And not we don't do that consciously or intentionally, but sometimes it's just because we are not open to their questions. Did I answer right. that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think for me too, like one thing I've been trying to be really more intentional about in my ministry is letting my kids know, like you are a theologian Yeah. Like what we do when we talk about God and just getting them comfortable with those terms and that knowledge. And like, this isn't something that's scary. Um, it's something we can talk about and, you know, Hey, we study God. That means you're a theologian now. Like mm-hmm. you're doing this. Cause like you said, we have that perception in our head of like, Oh, I can't ever understand that. Or I'm not old enough or I don't have enough degrees or <laughs> all right. So, I think that is very important. Now, Abby, you and your husband, you serve as missionaries and pastors So I want to ask you, now that you're in this practical field, living this out, are there certain elements of document that maybe you have to remind yourself of as you're living out ministry day to day? Yes, I think definitely the practical elements, because it is overwhelming to think of all the balancing act of ministry. (laughs) And We have uh, lovely volunteers and ministry leaders at our church who are involved with children, but um, I have to be intentional about training them and uh, making space for them to also learn because we kind of keep doing it the same way (laughs) that they, they learned or that they remember. And one of the things that I have to constantly come back to is that Uh, We pastor not only adults, I'm not a pastor of only the people who sit in the congregation on Sunday morning, but we are also the pastors of the little ones, of children. And I think as a mother, I have three kids, and there is sort of an idolatry of the family, of the nuclear family, that my children are the most important, like they're the ones whose needs I put first, yet that is really... uh, it can be um, 
hindering to how I welcome and treat other children. Of course, like a nice hug, pat on the back, oh, welcome. But am I looking after their well-being in the same way as I am my children? And that includes sort of a holistic outlook of not just children, but of mothers, of single parents, of grandparents, aunts and uncles. Of course, with the pandemic, uh, a lot of children have lost caregivers. And how do we see that, like these three children, they're mine. And then these children, you know, they come and okay, they're here. I can show them a little bit of love and have fun. But how do I also see them as mine? Not as in ownership, but in responsibility and obligation to see and care care for them spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. Now, the document that you helped write, um, as you mentioned earlier, there's the biblical, theological, the historical, all of those elements come into play. Are there any other additional elements now looking back? At your two years of work that you were like, oh, I wish we would have incorporated that, or I wish that this is something people need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I there's some parts that I would love to redo and edit and make new. I think um, I would want to incorporate a deeper theology of children created in God's image, because we have the creation of two adults in Genesis and not two, you know, not conception and and the birth of children. So mm-hmm. I would definitely add something about that because I think that really shapes the way that we treat children. Like they haven't come to age or they can't fully reason or they're not emotionally mature because we think of created in God's image as two fully formed adults. And of course, people will say, no, no, no. Oh, what is she talking about? Of course, we say children are created in the image of God, but the way that we treat them sometimes doesn't reflect that. We treat them as lesser than. And another thing that I would sort of incorporate would sort of be in the biblical aspect, maybe talk a little bit more about the way children were viewed and treated um, in antiquity. I mean, it is amazing that our Bible includes stories of children. It is amazing that Jesus says, let the little children come to me. That isn't something cute and fun that Jesus is doing. Jesus is radically challenging the social order of the day. Children, of course, as we know, were, did not live. Most of the children did not live past five years old. And sometimes we just can't grasp that. (laughs) And so children weren't thought of as these cute little creatures (laughs) that we love and dote on. It was something that you didn't, you did not attach yourself to your child. You did not attach yourself to children and sort of look at that and, and how, we we can overlook that uh, with the children who are in our midst and how we don't take advantage of every opportunity to offer some sort of um, safety, security uh, for children who are in our midst. So I think there's a lot of aspects I would add, but <laughs> those are two. And another one in sort of the practical section, of course, children can receive, uh, can be saved. But I would challenge us to think about what that means and how we present that to children. Oftentimes we present it to children as making a decision. And Joy, mm. were you like me when you were little? You were like, should I raise my hand? I, I mean, I, I know I said the sinner's prayer, but then they say like recommitment to Christ. I, I think we really have to re, re-examine our language that we use with children. And instead of one right. as sort of like a uh, making this decision right now for the rest of your life, 
One as invitation and participation. Mm -hmm. And I think the document does get at that, right? We are inviting and asking and allowing children to participate. But let's look at our language a little bit. Um, my children were born into a Christian home, right? Uh, there's never been a time when they have not been a part of God's family. Right. And we put the, the focus on the individual rather than the community. And how can our language reflect that? It is all of our responsibility. And the document does do that, talk about the responsibility. But I think sometimes we put too much responsibility on a, on a child, um, that can sow a little bit of confusion or doubt, or am I really saved? I did, you know, I sinned, I did something and, and change that element. Pentecostals, we begin with, you are a good creation. Yet a lot of our children's curriculum begins with, you are sinners and you can't mm -hmm. be God's friend. <laughs> and I just think that's the wrong way to approach it. Um, children are already scared enough. They're already traumatized enough. And how do we make that language more inviting you? The kingdom of God belongs to them, not to us. We don't hold the keys. We're not the gatekeepers. They probably are more than us. I love that. And um, I think we too, it's hard because we always ask people just as Christians, like, well, let me hear your testimony or let me <laughs> yeah. hear this. And I remember even as a child, because like you, I grew up in a Christian home. Yeah. And now though I've realized like, well, it's okay for me to say, well, I've known the Lord my whole life or like, <laughs> right. I've, you know, because I was like, I didn't have this traumatic or mm -hmm. this big salvation. Right. Moment. And so in that language too, I've talked to several people, my pastor and I, we talk about it a lot, but just like the words we use, like inviting mm -hmm. Jesus into your heart, like right. that could be very confusing um, for children as well. Yes. So I love what you said about language there. Yeah. I wanted to ask you though, um, as we are, um, promoting this resource to our children's ministers, how could they use this as a tool for their ministry? Maybe what are some ideas or ways that you would like to see that promoted and incorporated? Mm -hmm. I think it's getting it into the hands of people. That's like the first step. And I know I hear all the time, like what this document exists, like <laughs> it feels like we're beating the same drum. Mm -hmm. And I know you uh, from your position as well. Um, I want it to be a springboard. It's not the solution to how to do children's ministry. It's not that this is going to fix our challenges that we have in, in children's ministry, but it is the first step in opening up our hearts and minds to what the spirit is doing and where the spirit is working. So getting it into the hands and reading it, I would suggest reading it together as a group, do it section by section, do it uh, with your pastor. Pastor sometimes just give all the responsibility to children's ministers. You know that joy you've worked in children's ministry a long time <laughs> um, without, you know, that's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. And doing it as a group together and reading it, going through it a section by section, and then reading over the practical elements and asking yourself, your congregation and your pastor, which have we done well? Which do we need to do better? Oh, I don't agree with this. A lot of people really disagree with, for example, letting children participate in communion. Um, since my son who's 10 could chew had teeth, he has participated in the Lord's Supper. Uh, this goes back to the idea that he is part of the family of God. You know, we ask when, 
when does a Jewish baby become Jewish? Well, the moment that that baby is born, yeah. right? Uh, if we're biblical about it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we could disagree with it, but how do we begin to put this into practice? And what are we doing well? And what could we improve on? And if you have questions, of course, like you have some, there's so many resources, uh, the entire um ministry department at the international offices. I love talking about this. You could take Joy's class. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of times we focus on Joy, we focus on how to have a, how to run a smooth Sunday morning. Um, mm-hmm. What are the most attention grabbing games? And all of those elements are important, but are the children a part of the local church body? Do they feel that this church building belongs to them, that these, uh, that the people in the church are people they can trust. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things and it's just a springboard. There's lots of resources out there and not just the books about having a smooth children's ministry, but theology uh, and, and biblical interpretation. And I will ask you here at the end about any resources you might want to share about Mm -hmm. that. Um, but I did want to ask one more question and you mentioned your kids and the, the culture that you're in right now. So mm-hmm. culturally speaking, as we know, the value of children that could vary from place to place here yes. in America. It's very different probably than what it is there in Mexico versus even church to church, state to state. Mm-hmm. So why might this document be necessary and why might it be new information maybe for, for many people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still think in a lot of the world, it's children are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> we get anxious when we hear a baby cry in church. We get anxious if children are acting up in church. Um, I get anxious when my kid, I, I mean, there's nothing I can do. He he is very, um, he's my most easygoing child, but he's also my most willful child. If he doesn't want to do something, he doesn't do it. <laughs> and church has been sort of a, a challenge for us, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, with the pandemic. But this is important because it tells us that let children be children. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't try to make little mini adults. We need to understand that children are going to be children and they're not going to know how to behave perfectly. And it's not about being strict and it's not about being authoritarian or disciplinarian, it's about inviting them into the life of the church. And I think this document really gets at that. How are we allowing children to be part of the life of the church and a part of the kingdom of God? If the kingdom of God belongs to them, you know, they're not going to, we don't want them to lead us or to come on stage just for our entertainment, even though most of the time it is, I know I always have my camera out when my kids are up there. Um, <laughs> But how can we just uh, let them lead us into God's presence through their um, silliness, their activeness, their uh, whatever they bring to the church? And how can we let that be a joyful time and let them participate in all of the liturgy? And that, that's to say all of the elements of worship. And I think this this document kind of gets at that. And yeah, the value of children, it's, it's, it's still difficult. Even in, in the U.S., it's difficult. Um, as we've seen this, um, you know, at the end of May, what happened in Texas, uh, it's still difficult to get that message across. And what are we doing to um, protect our children and to let them know that they are loved and they are in a safe environment 
where they can be um, vulnerable and we can be vulnerable and they can um, trust all of the adults in that community. Right. Well, I could probably sit and talk with you. You froze. Forever about this. <sighs> I freeze. Um, we could probably talk forever about this. Um, I know. But I, I did want to bring the conversation to a close. And I know you mentioned mm-hmm. um, Marsha Bunch earlier. Yes. So I wanted to see if you had any more resources. What are things people can read, listen to, maybe about this subject if they're curious and they want to study it out more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marsha Bunge is a great starting place. She has sort of compilations of books. She has Theology of the Child, uh, The Child in the Bible. There's also a great book for parents by Cindy Wang Brandt. Let me look up the title really quick. I bought, I have the book. <laughs> um, it's called Parenting Forward. Okay. And it's How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. And Mm. I really um, have loved that book as a parent. There There are so many resources. I think that letting children be children, letting them explore, that's, that's what I was really drawn to the Brandt book about that. So it is hard. There is not a lot of theology out there for children. <laughs> there really is not. Um, but you can begin to just uh, find little by little. At the end of the document, there's also the bibliography. So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in children in antiquity, uh, there's a lot of resources. Marsha Bunge kind of covers all of that. I mean, she is the theologian writing about this and, um, and yeah, she's been a great resource to me. It might be a little head. It can get a little bit bogged down. Some of the language, it is a little bit theological, but if you're interested in that, it's a, it's a good place, place to start. Yes. I know one time, I think it was several years ago, I was working on a paper for school and I messaged you and I was like, why isn't there more resources? I know. <laughs> we, like, we have to write them. <laughs> we do. So, we have to write them. Yeah. I know. If I ever get a, if I ever go for another degree, it will be on a Pentecostal theology of children. It definitely will be. Um, I was thinking about to do writing on that for my doctor of ministry, but it had to be practical and we were in a pandemic our church was closed literally for two years and it was really hard to think about like a practical way to do that because <laughs> I wanted to work with actual children. So anyway, but yeah. if I ever do that, I am going to write, but I do, I do. I have so many ideas about writing about children. I think about John chapter three, uh, you must be reborn. Um, and I have a whole thing about that. Oh, we can do that on the next episode. all right well abby thank you again so much for joining us today and again if you were listening and you have not yet downloaded this you can go to our website cogop.org slash children it is a free 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 we love free resource (laughs) that you can read that you can email that you can send to as many people on your team um, at your church give to families Um, just to promote this and just gain some knowledge and insight on this very important topic that we promote and that we celebrate, especially in the Church of God of Prophecy. So thank you, Abby. Thank you, Joy. This was fun. All right. Yes. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you again next month with our next podcast. Bye.
listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. 